As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, welcome back to another installment of the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Andy Navarro, Miami Hurricanes beat writer for The Athletic. Joined once again by Carlos Ledo of the MIA All Day Podcast. It is Monday, it is 4 p.m., September 26th, and it's the aftermath of one of the worst losses in Miami Hurricanes history. Miami getting their asses handed to them at home by Middle Tennessee State, 45 to 31. It came in as a 25-and-a-half-point favorite, one of the biggest upsets in college football in the last 20 years from a uh, Las Vegas betting perspective. Carlos, we're going to get into talking about what happened with the Hurricanes, um, but I'm not going to get too philosophical in terms of um, the game because I didn't watch it again. I I only needed to watch it once to know what the problem was. Um, Two problems, really, uh, in my mind. Number one, uh, these players don't like playing in this offense and they're letting it spill into the way that they're playing. Um, they're not playing with the kind of effort they need to play with. And number two, the coaches aren't making the adjustments they need to. It's a battle of, it's a battle of wits right now, I think, between Mario Cristobal's staff and the players to force them to do something they don't want to do. And that's something both of these coaches, uh, in terms of Mario and Josh Gaddis and, and even Kevin Steele said, you, you, you apply – your players to what they do best. Right. And I think right now that's not what's happening. I think they're trying to sort of force their way onto these players. And I think they're reacting poorly. And uh, that's why you saw the disaster on Saturday in large part. Yes. Tyler Van Dyke isn't playing well. His accuracy is off. Um, But my overall thought, my main thought coming off of this game is once again, you have a broken Miami locker room where the players aren't putting forth their best effort for a coach and this is a theme that's carried on through multiple regimes here. Yeah, I mean, what scared me on Saturday was when you started giving me your score prediction, and I saw like it was basically like a three-point game. I'm like, what the hell is he seeing from these guys warming up on the field that he's sending me this at this specific time <laughs> after he's seen the guys come off the field? He's telling me, hey, it's going to be a close game. DGI is going to get bombed like three times. It's going to be close all the way in the fourth quarter. It's, it's not going to be a good game. And I'm like, uh, shit, what's going on here? 
And it's apparent. It was apparent by the way they came out and they started the game. You could see there, there was no energy. Uh, I mean, lifeless hard rock aside, these guys need to come out. And if you're a ball player, if you're a real player and you really care about what it is you're putting on tape, if you want to go to the next level, if you want to go to the NFL, if you want to be the best at your craft, you can play this damn game in a parking lot with nobody there. And it doesn't matter. And it's about you whooping the guy's ass in front of you. It's about giving maximum effort to show what you're capable of, right? On my podcast, I said this week, it wasn't about the opponent. It was about the Hurricanes themselves. They were playing themselves this week to see how they could take the next step and the evolution under Mario Cristobal to see what kind of team they are mentally and physically. And they just failed the mental test. These guys aren't ready for primetime. They thought they had success losing to Texas A&M 17 to 9. That's not success. Yeah, it's, it's a step in the right direction compared to last year, getting your ass kicked by Alabama on the road in the first game, uh, being able to ha- handle the competition in a hostile environment and fight, great, but that's not a win. That doesn't make a difference. It's not going to get you any closer to where you want to be in the long term. And, and I think you're, you're absolutely right when it comes to players being resistant to the change because for some reason they thought they were successful last year under Rhett Lashley's offense. Yeah, they scored some points down the stretch, but they ended up 7-5 and five and they struggled a lot early on. As a matter of fact, let's take a look at the numbers in the first three games against FPS opponents because we're going to eliminate the, the FCS opponent uh, both last year and this year. Against the three FBS opponents, okay, 2021 and 2022, both teams compared, all right? They're both one and two. And last year, we averaged 18.3 points per game against those FBS teams in the first three games we played at FBS opponents. This year, we're averaging 21 points per game. Same shit, different day. The defense gave up 35 points a game in those games last year. This year, at least the defense is slightly better at 20.7, but this past game was just atrocious. So if we keep seeing the same shit, Manny, for over 20 years, if we keep seeing the same patterns of inconsistency and mediocrity over 20 years, over different coaches, different coordinators, different regimes, different athletic directors, then what, what is the through line here? What are we looking at? It has to be a toxic culture within the locker room that's allowed to continue to fester year after year after year, and it has to be based on the players they're recruiting. So what, is, what does that mean then? Are they recruiting the wrong guys? Are getting the wrong guys in here without the right mindset to be able to come out here and do what they need to do? And it reminds me, the resistance reminds me of 1984 when Jimmy took over and the coaches were resistant to changing systems. The players were resistant to changing the system. And they ended up eight and five. And until Jimmy started firing people and people started leaving and they didn't turn that thing around and make it Jimmy's team, right? Going from right. a five, two to a four, three and opening the offense up a little bit more. So it's, it's shocking that it's happening under Mario Cristobal because you felt like up to this point, he had created a culture within the locker room or within the team that everybody was buying into, but apparently they're not. And it, it's, it's kind of sickening and disheartening because at what point do we turn and say, all right, enough is enough. These players got to do something because it can't be every coach, right? It can't right. be every coordinator. Right. Uh, I, I'll share a little bit of this with you guys. Uh, when, when I met uh, with Rudy Fernandez last year, okay, and and he was telling me he was looking for a new coach for Mario and, and all that kind of stuff, and, they, and the university was clearly looking to see what they could do to fix the situation after two and four start. Um, you know, I, part of the reason I endorsed Mario Cristobal as coach is because I thought, A, he's the best recruiter they'll, they'll have in the last 20 years since Butch Davis was here, and I think I'm 100% accurate in that. Um, and number two, I thought he'd be able to come in and win the locker room over being a guy who's won two championships here as a player. But it's clear that it it doesn't matter who the coach is. Players are, 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 are going to, in their own way, 
like you said, resist change, right? Or resist things that they're not a part of. And I've seen this at the high school level here locally for many, many years. Uh, if the players don't like what the coach is running, they quit and they run and they go to another school and they transfer and they go somewhere else until they're they're happy. And so this is a conversation I've had, you know, with multiple people over the years and said, look, I think the biggest issue is when you are in South Florida and, you're, and your talent base is South Florida, you have to have a coaching staff that A, can come in and, and, and play the right kind of formula for the players. We saw without Golden, that wasn't the case, right? He came in, he wanted to, to, to beef up these guys, run, run a three, four scheme. Personnel wise, that was a disaster. Manny takes over from Mark Richt, um, goes to the right kind of offense, which is the spread, which is what these guys like to do and, and, and play with a little bit of pace. The problem is they, they didn't play defense anymore. They stopped playing defense the way that they were. And, and so it's, it's always one thing or another here with, with the coach where and know, they the couldn't scheme, run the ball last year either. That and was, and yep. they could, they couldn't run the ball either. Right. So it's one thing or another. The one thing we have to remember here is this is game four for Mario Cristobal. And we've already had his FIU moment. Manny Diaz waited until I think game nine or 10, right. For his FIU moment. Now Mario's had his four games in. Um, I think what this tells us is, is that like you said, at the root, there is rot, right? There is rot in this tree. And whether it requires going outside of South Florida to get a different kind of player and making that the base of your locker room, maybe that's what they have to do. But I can tell you, living in South Florida, covering these players for many, many years, that's what I've seen change in high school football down here. The commitment, the loyalty, the days of the Walt Frazier at Carroll City High School or Roland Smith at Northwestern or uh, you know, guys that had programs that were successful for a long time, and there was a buy into that program. I feel like it shifted quite a bit here in the last five to 10 years. And, and, and players move around so much where there's this just mentality of if I don't like it, I'm leaving. I'm switching. I'm not fully committed to the way the coach wants me to play. And that's what I saw. That's the body language that I saw Saturday was, oh, man, we're, it's third and one and we're going to run the running play. Everybody expects I'm not going to get excited for that. And, and the one constant, Carlos, the one constant thing you can point to of why Miami's had success in the last couple of years, the few times that they did, right? It was a new quarterback taking over. It was Derek King taking over the offense, right? That's what that's what that got them all excited in that 2020 season when they started eight and one before things fell apart at the end. Then last year was the same thing. Two and four, terrible start. All of a sudden, Tyler Van Dyke gets some energy in and, and they start believing. So that's why I look at this, this, you know, and I know it's a bye week and we're gonna have a quarterback controversy for for a while now, but that's why I think in a lot of ways they almost have to go to Jay Garcia because if they don't and they put Tyler back in there and they say they're going to just change a little bit of the offense and maybe run a little more tempo, I don't think that's going to honestly change the mentality in the locker room. I think they have to go with Jake for that reason. Well, yeah, getting back to what you're saying, <clears throat> it's it's become a culture of mercenaries in high school football down here in South Florida. And and it's sort of bled into the hurricanes. And I think in college football in general now with NIO and the transfer portal, it's become all about me, 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 not the team. So creating a culture where you're putting uh, the team ahead of yourself is something that's foreign, especially down here with this team, with the Hurricanes, because we haven't seen it for a long time. I think you you need to make the switch to me, to Jeff Garcia, to Jake Garcia. I'm sorry, Jeff Garcia. That'd be something we bring back Jeff Garcia from the 49ers, <laughs> late 90s. Bring Terrell Owens, too. Let's make that happen. That'll help the team. Right. Um, but I think you go to Jake Garcia because... One, you saw the team rally around Jake once he got in there. He brought energy. He brought life. They believe in him. Keyshawn Smith went up and got a ball. You haven't seen him get all year. But the other thing is, Jake was taking those shots. All right? They're calling the same plays because I watched the game again. I did it, Manny. 
I had to sit God here. bless you. My God, I had to sit here and drink five antacids, right? Drink some Gatorade in between, get an IV at halftime, and keep watching this shit because I watched the game again, and they were calling the same kind of stuff. And the only difference was Jake Garcia made the effort to push the ball down the field. Mm-hmm. Gave guys opportunities to make plays. He threw that deep route to Keyshawn Smith, let him go up the elevator and go get it. And he put it in a position where he can make a play. That's the difference. He threw that deep shot down the sideline to Keyshawn Smith, where it looked like he scored, but they rolled him out of the one. Um, get him, get it to him in perfect position. Give him enough air to run under the ball. Don't fire everything 90 miles an hour, like Tyler Van Dyke is doing on the goal line with Will Mallory wide open on fourth down and throws it over his head at 90 miles an hour instead of just hitting him in the chest with a clean pocket. You know what I mean? Simple things like that, getting the ball in the playmaker's hands. That helps a lot, right? And then you see him take that shot to Jaleel Skinner. Jaleel Skinner makes a big play. He's in there igniting the offense. The other thing, the other reason why I think you have to go away from TVD is TVD is not in immensely right now. You can see he's got like a blank stare about him. His mind, I don't know what happened. And there's a couple of things during the game that point to the fact that he's not all there. Number one, that first interception, okay? The balls line up on the left hash, okay? You've got twins on each side, right? It's a four receiver set. Four receiver set. We're not always in tight bunch or any of this shit with the tight ends. We ran five wide a bunch of times too. So don't give me the Josh Gaddis is only hammering the ball bullshit. But anyway, that's a different conversation. So he's lined up a two by two and both routes are the same. They mirror the routes. It's double outs, right? So you're thinking to yourself as a quarterback, if I'm looking at double outs on each side, okay, and I've got the wide side of the field over here, and I've got very little sideline to this side over here. And the corner squats. It looks like the corner is going to be squatting right off the bat, right off the snap. I'm not going to work the short side of the field. For what? If we're running out routes, it's going to run them into the sideline, or I'm going to have to throw it in between two defenders and have a chance at a pick, which is what happened. If you look at the play on the other side of the field, I think it was Frank Lasden broke wide open on the out. Tyler has the arm to get that ball out there. He catches that. He's up the sideline for 10, 15 yards. Mental mistakes like that. The second one, that to me was, it's inexcusable. They get the illegal formation call on Will Mallory for being off the line of scrimmage. Tyler Van Dyke lines everybody up. As a quarterback, your first job is, are we in the right formation? Is everybody where they're supposed to be before I get this snap count going? Because if not, this play is fucked. I got to call a timeout, right? Excuse the F-bomb, but there might be a few of them today because they deserve it. So... <laughs> He looks, right? He's looking around. You got trips to the right side, okay? Three receivers to the right side. And on the same side, Will Mallory is in the H-back role off the line of scrimmage. That's automatically legal formation. You don't have enough guys on the line of scrimmage. Either call a timeout or readjust Mallory, get him on the other side, up on the line of scrimmage. Because you are not in the right set. But what does Tyler do? Okay, everything looks good. Snap the ball, let's play. How do you not see that? That's he said his head his head isn't in it and I, and I think a lot of it is just frustration right I mean you're, you're not having the success early in that game that you want to have you throw two picks your first two two throws or, or interceptions one's a pick six for a touchdown I think you know that's the difficult part that we forget here is yes Tyler was the starter for most of last season but again he's still technically a young quarterback he's, he's just beginning his third year you've changed the offense on him you've got a new coordinator coordinator in there who 
really, I think, isn't doing them any favors because they're not playing to his strengths, right? We know what his strengths were. It was playing in hurry up. It was taking shots down the field. He's not doing that. Now, whether all of that falls on, on Josh Gaddis is another story because I'm sure there are, there are plays that, that you know, um, Tyler can, could decide to go deep if he wants to, reading the defense. I think the problem is he just doesn't have a con- the confidence in those receivers to make those plays. And not having Xavier Restrepo out there shakes that confidence even more. So, Look, it's a tough situation. Um, I I get it. You know, you come in, the season hasn't started the way that you want to, but now really it's all about what happens next because as horrible as they are right now at two and two, as bad as they looked on defense, and we'll get into the defense in a minute, um, you still have the possibility of winning this division this year. Now, do I think that's going to happen? Absolutely not. I don't even know if this is a six and six team right now, Carlos, to be honest with you. I think this could be a team that goes five and seven or four and eight because the reality is what sparked Miami last year was Tyler Van Dyke. It's the only reason they went five and one over the last six games of the season. The only reason there wasn't, it wasn't because all of a sudden the defense got good. They were still giving up a ton of points. So to me, uh, where do they get that spark, right? Where do they where do they sort of galvanize the team? Where is that going to come from? I don't know where that comes from now. Is it Jake Garcia? I don't know. I don't think Jake necessarily is that much better than Tyler right now. Okay. I mean, you look at their numbers on Saturday. Yes, Jake Jake had more success, uh, but he was 10 of 19 and he was 4 of 15 uh, or, or, or 5 of 14, I think, over the last uh, uh, 14 passes of the game. He was not connecting with receivers. So it's not like he came in all of a sudden, you know, hit 19 to 20 guys for 300 yards and four touchdowns. Um, So to me, this is a huge moment in the season. And even bigger than that is do the coaches decide we care about this year. We care about having success with these players and we're going to adjust what we're going to do to fit them. Or do they say, no, I'm sorry. I don't care that we're down Jalen Knighton. I don't care that we're that, that that our lead running back, Henry Parrish, is injured. I don't care that, you know, Thaddeus Franklin's probably going to be exhausted. I don't care that my offensive line is probably exhausted and worn out. We're going to be a running team. And if they come out and they try to, to basically run the same game plan against UNC, they're going to get blown out of the building, Carlos, because as bad as UNC's defense is, Mac Brown is still a damn good coach. And he's got one. He's got probably the best quarterback in the ACC. Uh, all apologies to everybody else who, who thinks Devin Leary or Schaefer. I mean, this kid that they've got playing quarterback in North Carolina is the best quarterback in the ACC skills wise. So I'm not going to even argue that with anybody. Um, so to me, it, this this week in Coral Gables, whatever's happening, because we're not allowed to go down there, see anything. Right. We all have to be kept out. No media. Um, whatever's happening. That to me is the internal battle is. Do the coaches adjust to the players and what the players want to do? Or does Mario say, screw it, I'm sacrificing this season because in the end, I want the players to play my kind of football. And it's going to be interesting as hell because they've got a recruiting class right now that is tweeting and saying all the right things, right? All the guys that are commitments right now saying, hey, we're part of this. We don't care that you lost. We know you're going to turn this around, blah, blah, blah. But push come to shove, this team doesn't make a bowl game this year, Carlos, which is a real possibility. Um this signing class is going to fall apart and this entire start from Mario Cristobal is going to become a disaster. So this is the, this is the week. This is the week when the entire season rests on in my mind. Yeah, I think, uh, I think to me, number one with, with the Tyler Van Dyke stuff, if he doesn't agree with the offense, that's fine. I get it. You prefer playing in Lashley's offense. You like the up-tempo stuff. You like more RPO stuff, which by the way, Gaddis incorporated for him this week too. Every time I text you RPO glance, that means they were running the RPO 
making sure to see if the if the will linebacker or the safety came up to play the run and they threw the, the short post or quick slant behind him. They did that like three times for Frank Ladson. It helped Frank Ladson come alive. And they could have had another one, but TVD was wild on one of those things. Um, also, if Gaddis is not calling deep shots, then why is Jake Garcia finding them? Right. Why is Jake Garcia able to take his deep? He may have only connected on two or three of them out of seven, but he took seven shots of 20 or more, 20 or more yards, seven. Tyler Van Dyke hasn't done that all season combined, I think. So is it's a mentality thing. And they've said from the beginning, we've read and we've heard during a spring ball, during fall camp, Jake has a tendency of taking more gambles than Tyler, pushing the ball down. Yeah, the yeah. he's a gunslinger. Yeah, he's a gunslinger. And, and sometimes that's what you need. You know what? And right now, this conservative bullshit that Tyler Van Dyke has fallen into, whether it's the offense coordinator's fault or not, which I don't believe it is. I think it's a mix of both. Um, at some point, you need somebody in there to break the monotony and say, okay, I'm going to put this on my shoulders and we're going to make plays. And that's the difference, I think, in mentality between Jake Garcia and Tyler Van Dyke. After those two picks, after that pick six, if you're a guy with, with big ones, with big stones, with marbles, you come in there and you say, all right, listen, I know, my bad. This has been my fault to start the game, but right now we're going to start boat, boat racing the rest. It's going to be on me. Look to me. I'm going to get us there. Let's go. And you don't see that out of Tyler Van Dyke. You see that kind of energy from Jake Garcia. You see the guys rallying around him. And as far as Mario changing his system, he's not going to change shit. He's not because this is what he wants to do. He wants his ideal team is to be the Georgia Bulldogs. Look at Georgia. They run the same kind of shit on offense. Their leading receivers are tight ends and running backs right now. Okay. Tight ends and running backs. Brock Bowers last year was a leading receiver on that team. They're tight end. Okay. They will line up. They will smash mouth your ass. They will control the clock and they will beat you down with their defense and beat you down up front. And that's what Mario wants to emulate. And still, Georgia, being that kind of team, is averaging 42.5 points a game this year, or 42.2 points per game this year, 17th right. in the country. They're averaging over 530 yards of offense with that kind of style. Last year, they averaged 38.6 per game, which was ninth in the country. Okay, They averaged 443 yards playing that kind of style and beat people into submission. Now, do we have the horses to do that right now? Absolutely not. But if you want to build the culture, Mario's thinking is, I'm not playing for this season. right? I'm playing for... The entirety of the program. I'm here to save the program. And sometimes you're going to take steps back when you're trying to change culture and you're trying to change shit and reverse things that have been wrong for a long time. So in his mind, why am I going to give in to these players that aren't giving me maximum effort, aren't doing what I'm asking them to do, and give them some shit that I know is not going to benefit the program long term just to put a Band-Aid on it and look a little bit better, to be 9-3 and three instead of 8-4 and four or 7-5? and five. Fuck it. I'm going to play my style and I'm going to beat it into you and either you come with it or you sit on the bench. Either you submit to what I want or you're not going to play. And your tape is going to look like shit for the next school you try to transfer to or it's going to look like shit for the NFL. But my system, my ideal, my culture, the way I want my teams to play, this is the way it's going to be. Either you're with us or you're, you're gone. And who knows? Maybe you see somebody hit the transfer portal this week. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? then we have the podcast for you. Introducing The Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us.
Yeah, I, you know, Carlos, that's the that's the tough part in in all of this is, you know, we've seen that that culture take root here before and it hasn't had success. I mean, Al Golden came in here and said, this is the defense we're going to run, whether you like it or not. We were going to make Anthony Chicolo a defensive tackle when he should be a linebacker and edge rusher. And and it doesn't work. Sometimes it just doesn't work. And, and you know, I, I get it. A lot of these old school coaches and, and I, Mario's an old school coach in my mind. He's 52 years old. He is not a baby. He has been at this a long time. He's been at this 25 years. He's been around a lot of good coaches. He's won championships uh, as an assistant. He's, he's won them as a player. I understand, you know, that there are su- ways to success with your own formula. But I think we've seen too much evidence that Coaches come in here trying to change the culture at Miami, and it has to be a little bit more give and take than just, hey, it's my way or the highway. And so that's the thing I'm worried about for Miami and the rest of the season and the recruiting classes, because ultimately the players watch what's happening. They come to the games. They see the atmosphere. They see how crappy it is. They see they hear the fans booing, calling for the backup quarterback, the lack of support. Um that really these players get because down here it's cutthroat. Miami fans don't give a shit. They will boo you. They will boo you to your face. They will cuss you out to your face. They do not care. There is no level of respect for the players on this team. There might be 10 or 15,000 people who love this team and love the players and, and have their back no matter what. I'm not dis- discounting those people, but, but the fans who, who are from Miami, the ones who show up to the games, the ones that uh, are there most Saturdays, they get drunk outside. They come in the stadium. They yell and they curse at who they want, and that's just the, the way it's it, it's going to be. And and the ones that don't show up are even worse because they just get on the internet and do it. So I I just think you know th- this is a very volatile situation. I think the administration was hoping you throw money at this, you bring an old school cane back, magic is going to happen. The reality is what we've learned here is without a hot quarterback, Miami's nothing. Miami is an average to below average football team right now. And that's not what championship football looks like. This thing has to be built upon more than just a hot quarterback, a De'Ara King or a hot Tyler Van Dyke or somebody who lifts the team on the field. It's not a one person job. Winning a championship nowadays is not a one person job. And I think that's what these players have to accept in the locker room. I don't think they have. I think they were so accustomed to De'Ara and Tyler just making magic happen that when they don't do it, they kind of look around like, and that's, that's what Mario has to change. Um, that's what he really has to change more than anything in that, in that locker room. Yeah. And, and getting back to that point of, you know, the way the fans react and, and the, the empty stadium and all that. So Mario looks at all that and he says, and what am I going to do? Coddle the fan base. I'm going to coddle these players. And they've gotten the same results for 20 years because people have given in, they've acquiesced, they've given the players what they want because eventually they get to that point like Al Golden, like Manny Diaz, like everybody else, where they say, shit, I need to start giving it to these players because I need them to play for me and I need to turn the season around or else we're going to have bad results. You're getting bad results anyway. You've been getting mediocre results for 20 years. At this point, Mario draws a line in the sand and says, hey, this is the way it's going to be. This is this is what we determine hurricane football to be. There is a standard that you need to play to. There's a way we're going to play. And either you play that way or you get out. And that's simple. We'll end up six and six. I don't give a shit. I'm here for 10 years. I got 80 mil. They want to fire me? Fire me. I got a bunch of money behind me that says I can do whatever I want with this team. And if it's not going to be successful this year, that's fine. I'm going to go out and recruit guys with the mentality that I need to be able to make this successful. Now, will that impact recruiting? Absolutely. But then you will also find the real ones that want to stay with you and ride through it and understand that that's your vision for the program. Um, as far as, you know, guys looking around to to see, oh, who's the guy that's going to step up and make plays for us? That's the problem with the mentality, too. It's, it's not about who's going to be making plays. Everybody needs to make plays. And I think we've talked about this for a long time. 
one of the biggest holes in this program for years has been the lack of leadership since guys, since guys like Ed Reed left Ken Dorsey, there's been guys here and there. There've been somewhat leaders, but there's never been like a vocal group of guys that are trusted on the field that are respected in the locker room that people rally behind and listen to, you know, Gil Frierson tried to get the guys rallied around him on Saturday at one point, And it just fell on deaf ears and, and nobody stepped up. And it's this baby bullshit of guys getting their feelings hurt because things aren't going the way they want instead of going out and taking it and earning it and wanting it for themselves so bad that they have no choice but to do what's asked of them, to be able to go up that, to move up the depth chart, to be able to make the plays they want, to be able to look good in front of the crowd, to look good to the NFL. Instead, they whine, they sulk, and they look like shit. And it's, it's, it, it has to come a point where we stop the same cycle of fire the offensive coordinator, fire the defensive coordinator, fire the head coach. How about we have these players look in the mirror and say, hey, am I doing what I need to do? Have I committed fully to this program? Have I given everything I have as a Miami Hurricane on the field to be able to make sure my team is successful? Have I put the team ahead of myself? And I would honestly believe if they did that, they may come back with an answer of no, you have not. And I think it's time they do. Well, I do think some of that is on the coaching. And and I'm not just here to yell at the players and and put everything on them because, yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly. There's, There's a sense of pride. But I also think... Again, we're going back and forth in circles on this. Um, the coaches have to adjust somewhat. They have to do something yes. to help these guys play better. You you cannot be in man press coverage with DJ Ivy. You just can't. No, you no, can't. No. He's not going to do the job uh, with with a quarterback who, who clearly. I mean, the, the, if if teams haven't figured this out by now that they just have to throw the ball over DJ Ivy's head and let the receiver run and, under it, then I don't know. I can't help them. I mean, that this is what every team is going to do now. Uh, and look, there were injuries. Uh, yep. Tyreek Stevenson only ended up playing twenty snaps. Um, you know, you had to put two freshmen out there on defense. You had Jaden Harris out there for one play and he gives up a touchdown immediately. Um, but that's what good coaches and good teams are going to do. They're going to expose your weaknesses week to week to week. And as a coaching staff, you have to make adjustments. And Kevin Steele didn't do that in the second half. He didn't make any adjustments. No, I he ran the same defense out, out there and he got totally exposed in coverage, making the same mistakes that were happening in the first half. So, I get it. They're going to get rid of the ball quickly. You have to do a good job covering. You have to be a good doc, good job tackling in space. And what ends up happening? So they did not do this game. And, no, they had 13 missed tackles in this game. Uh, there were, they, you know, again, the same guys getting exposed. DJ Ivy, Corey Flagg, the guys that we know can't get the job done. But at the same time, too, I almost can't fault the coaches because in the end, you saw what happens when they put the young guys out there, right? Jaden Harris comes out one play, touchdown. Uh, before that, it was Malik Curtis, right? A couple weeks ago, same thing, one play, touchdown. Um, he got beat on another long one this week, too, I think. Yeah, I mean, it. it's just, it's a vicious circle. It's a vicious circle of the same mistakes over and over. But without a defense, um, without an improvement in defense, um, this team is not going anywhere. I mean, they will not make a bowl game playing this kind of defense. I'm sorry. They, they just do not have what it takes on the offensive side of the football. There is no D.R. King or, or Tyler Van Dyke waiting in the wings to get red hot and all of a sudden, I mean, there's there's no receivers to throw the ball to. Really, I mean, you'll have an occasional Keyshawn Smith catch. Frank Latson might have a good day like he did Saturday where all of a sudden he's involved. Um, but But you need a breakout playmaker to score the kind of points that your defense gave up on Saturday. And, and yes, look, seven points were on the offense, but there were 38 on the defense. Okay. And, and it was bad. It was ugly. Yeah. Lost in all the, uh, you know, is Gattis a bad coordinator? Is this offense a bad fit? Talk is the defense sucked. They were bad. Um, I mean, it was 24, 10 at halftime. Uh, again, granted seven of those points were off of an interception, 
and another three were off the short field. Um, but still, in the second half, you gave up another 21 points to Middle Tennessee coming out of the coming out of the locker room. You gave up all those yards on those four big plays, a 98 yard bomb after you after you don't score on the goal line. Well, for DJ Ivy's head, I mean, it, it's it's boggling, it's mind boggling to me to be quite honest to be able to play that poorly against a team that you should be manhandling physically because of your your talent advantage. And I mean, yeah, the defensive line was nullified somewhat because they ran a lot of quick stuff. They ran some counter stuff in the run game. They kept them off balance. They also had some times where they flashed, but they missed too many opportunities in the backfield to make plays. Um, They missed too many opportunities to get pressure on the quarterback when it was needed, when they needed to come up with a big play. They just couldn't do it. I mean, it was, there was a situation, I think it was the last couple drives. uh, I mean, in the fourth quarter, you know, Miami gave up drives, uh, gave up a drive of more than five and a half minutes when they finally got back into the game after their last touchdown. Uh, then they got the ball back, didn't do shit with it. And then again, middle Tennessee with another three minute drive to kill more clock. It's like the defense never could put a stopper on things. They can never close the wound and allow the team to get back into it and find a way to get back in the game. Um, look, Corey flag, he might be the best linebacker they have right now. Okay. And that, and that's telling you how bad the linebacker situation that's is. Um, there was one player in particular that stood out, which I watched it live. I don't know if you ended up looking at the second half where he ran directly towards the right tackle or the left tackle. It was opposite side, so left tackle. And I guess it was supposed to be a stunt for the defensive end. Anyway, the whole point is it's third down. You need quarterback containment on that because he's run before in the game and he runs straight. And it was such an odd play, such an odd breakdown Quarterback ends up picking up the first down, and it was just that was to me sort of the moment of we're in game four of Kevin Steele's defense, and we're still doing this. Yeah, it was sister. It was a it was it was a stunt designed for the defensive end. So where Corey Flag was blitzing, he was trying to occupy the offensive tackle, so then the end can loop inside of him. But it took so long to develop, and at the same time, as Flag is coming down on the tackle, you see the quarterback trying to fill. Right, trying to run in that lane, and if Flag just turns and makes a play, it's over. He's got him in the backfield, but he's just so locked in on running his stunt uh, routine, his stunt route, that he just missed it. He didn't see the ball, and by the time the end looped back around, the quarterback was through and in the hole. I get it, and I'm not just going to point the, the, the finger at Corey Flag on that play because ultimately something obviously went wrong, and, I, and you can't just definitively say it's his fault, but – as a player, aren't you paying attention to the where the ball is at all times? Like, don't you look over to your left and see where what the quarterback is doing with the ball? I mean, again, it's, it was a robotic play, is what it was. Yeah, it, it, there's just so much of it goes back to the Gervin Hall moment, you know, right? The, uh, last year against Michigan State, how is this still happening? What are they being taught? What are they? What are they learning? What are they not learning? Um, Questions that fundamentally you just it it, it leaves you, wor- you know, without words, you know, and and without an idea of what it is it's doing. It's it's just such a disaster. And look, I I know Miami fans had a lot of hope when the season started. We really thought with this Tyler Van Dyke, right, the one that the one that played at the end of last season, uh, six straight games of three hundred yards and three touchdowns. That's why everybody picked Miami to win the division. And it wasn't crazy. It's not like Pittsburgh you know, had some ridiculously super team that won the ACC last year. I mean, Miami beat them in Pittsburgh. So I understand why prognosticators, including myself, thought, okay, they can win the division this year. But to take this kind of a step back in so many different ways really was um, disappointing, I'd say, for Miami fans in the least. And and I think 
you know, this is a huge, again, we can wrap it up with this unless you have more to add, Carlos. Um, you're, you're more than feel free to add. But I just think we're at such an important crossroads because to me, if it doesn't work with Mario Cristobal here and he doesn't get off on the right foot, I don't know that Miami will ever have a chance to be great again. I just don't know what coach they go out and hire. And I don't know if the administration invests any more money into this because we know how this school has acted for a long time. Very frugal. Uh, they don't pour the money into football. This was a gamble on their part to go after Mario, to, to pay for the kind of coaching staff, invest in the facilities. I'm not saying they're going to pull the plug now, but if, but if Mario gets off to a bad start, if this is a four and eight, five and seven type season, six and six type season where they don't get the recruiting class they need and Mario's playing from behind from the get go. I mean, this could this could be a huge disaster that the program never recovers from. Yeah, and it could be the death of the program, right? If they if they decide that it's not worth investing all this money into it, if John Ruiz pulls back, if uh, Rudy Fernandez and the administration pull back, and you're left with just the resources that this program's always had over time, and you get rid of Mario Cristobal, then who's going to want the who's going to want the job eventually? It's going to be you know, guys are going to have to take shots at me at guy, Matt guys, me at guys, guys that are lower on the totem pole, maybe FCS guys, because, you know, established coaches are going to be like, shit, if they threw all that money at it and Mario Cristobal, who's from there, couldn't make it work. What am I going to do there? Right. He grew up in that area. He knows how to recruit that area. He knows the, the program. If he can't make that work, then nobody can. And that's, that's what they're going to be facing at that point. But I think we're a long way from being there. I think the one thing that has stopped coaches from, uh, maybe putting their stamp on the program over the last few years has been the lack of patience uh, from the administration. Obviously, when Al Golden got fired after that Clemson game, he was done. It was over for him. Mm -hmm. um, I think Randy Shannon maybe could have had one more year. They got rid of him a little bit early. I think Manny, after three years, uh, pulling the trigger on him. Of course, it was in favor of Mario, but most people would say maybe he should have gotten one more year, at least, you know, most rational people. Anyway, um, I think there's going to be lumps. There's going to be growing pains. And, and I've said it in the pod before in the past that, you know, success here is not going to be linear. It's not going to be a straight shot up. There's going to be up and downs. There's going to be peaks and valleys. And you're going to have to be willing to ride through the shit times like this to be able to come off the other side and get the program that you want. But it's going to take time to build that. You know, it's not a coincidence. This team has been mediocre for 20 years. It's not a coincidence that anybody, everybody has come in here has failed to get this program to the heights that it once was. It's not easy. So at some point, we're going to have to sit back and say, all right, man, listen, it sucks, but we're going to ride with you. We're going to be here in your corner. We're going to let you see. We're going to see what you do. Um, but at the same time, I do I do agree with you that, you know, Kevin Steele's defensively anyway, failed to make adjustments. Um, you know, I think Gaddis tried to make some adjustments, brought some different stuff in. And especially when Jake Garcia was in, they looked much better running the stuff they were running. Even with Jake Garcia being average, um, really based on the stats, they, they were more productive on offense, which was incredible to me. Um, but I think at some point there has to be a meeting of the minds here with this bye week where the coaching staff looks at themselves, looks at what they have and says, all right, within the framework of what we want to build, what can we do? What do we do best? Right. I think defensively, you don't play man. I think we, we, we scrap that for now. <laughs> I think we just put that shit out of there. We play man as minimal as possible. Okay. We let our defensive line do the work for us. Okay. If we really believe in this D line, let's drop seven. Rush four, play games up front, stunt and slant, and let the defensive line go to work because we have enough guys there in waves that we're going to get pressure on the quarterback eventually just because we're going to be fresh over time. And we need those guys to be disciplined up front to let the linebackers flow and make plays because when they do, 
it looks really good. And when they're really in their gaps and they're really flowing to where they need to be, but it's easy for the linebackers where the ball's spilling right to them, right in their hands. And we've seen that a couple of times. Um, offensively, I think they need to use quick game and screen game a lot more. They haven't done that a lot. They haven't done enough of it. They tried to use some of it against Texas A&M. I think more of that needs to happen. I think when you run, you need to run more bubble screens, more of those little orbit screens where you're coming around the backfield, more screens to the running backs, get the running backs involved in the passing game. If Jalen Knighton gets healthy, hopefully Jaden Knighton, because that's a big weapon. Use Brashard Smith out of the backfield. Also use him as a weapon to move around. I think you got to get more creative in that sense. And I think the reason why I say quick game, one is because it allows you to get the ball off fast without any pressure in your face. Two, it gets the quarterback confidence on a quick throw where it's a pitch and catch, getting loose, getting in the flow of the game. And two, it allow, three, it allows the receivers, the backs, or whoever's catching the ball to make athletic plays, right? You could turn a quick screen into a four or five-yard game and start moving that ball down the field. And it also adds to the run game so you're not having to pound the running backs 50 times a game. And, and looking at what we're looking at now with Henry Parrish down, with Jalen Knighton down, and Tan Franklin basically was about to have a heart attack at the end of the game. <laughs> Yeah, it was, uh, it was a rough night. A lot of snaps. I saw 98 snaps on offense for Miami in this game. It's crazy the amount of plays. Yeah, I saw 98 times too because I had to rewatch this damn game. <laughs> crazy performance. Uh, man, I, I hope they turn it around. I hope Mario is able to salvage this season in some way, shape, or form. I think a victory for them. I said this on WSVN last night when I made my, my appearance on, on Sports Extra. Just be bowl eligible, right? At this point, I, I just think the disaster is so real. Right on both sides of the ball, the lack of leadership. Again, unless Jake Garcia turns into the next TVD, the next Derek King, where he's going to give them that spark, I just don't see how they turn this thing around completely. I think these are, these are problems they'll be dealing with the rest of the year on both sides of the ball. Um, so my my entire view of this team has changed, um, just because they haven't gotten rid of this attitude of of being this team that doesn't care about every game and put into the same effort the way that they need to. And, uh, you know, buying into the offense and believing in the offense is, is key. Number one, I think until we see that, until we see the players say, we're going to play hard every single game and we're going to care that we're getting beat in the air. We're not, you know, we're, we're going to want to come back and win this game and, and put kind of the, the kind of effort that's necessary. Um, they're going to get beat by teams. They shouldn't, they shouldn't lose to. So uh, Carlos, I appreciate it. Uh, any final thoughts here as we wrap up? Well, man, hopefully, you know, I'm going to be the, the half glass full guy here at the end. So it's not all doom and gloom. Sometimes you need to go through these experiences so you can look at yourself honestly and look at all your warts and look at all your, your, your failures and your, all your shortcomings and make a determination that you're going to take a stand and make the changes necessary to get things right. Um, it's, a, it's a lot harder to do that when you're winning or you're being successful or you're playing against top programs like Texas A&M and battling them to the end. And, and you're sort of overlooking, glancing over what the larger problems are, what the root causes are. You're sort of just going over the top and fixing those things on the surface. I think here now, there's no choice but to look within and look deeper and look at the root problems. And that locker room either comes together, faces those problems together, and makes a commitment to overcome them, or the season goes in the tank. And we're, we're going to have a shit year, like you said, six and six, five and seven, if they don't turn it around. Because right now, let me tell you something, man. You know, having that kind of a secondary against North Carolina and Drake Maine and Josh Downs, that scares the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> looking at this kind of defense against Florida State and their receiver and Jordan Travis throwing bombs and them running the ball the way they're running it, kind of scares me. Uh, even, you know, a guy like Keaton Slobos, 
I don't think he's great, but he's good enough to light us up if this guy from Middle Tennessee is, right? Um, you know, what, what about Virginia? You're going to look at Brennan Armstrong and think, okay, he's only going to throw for 150 yards? No. That guy light us up. So he lit, he lit him up last year. Exactly. So something needs to happen here. They need to look at one another. They need to come together as a team and as a coaching staff and make a determination that, listen, it's not about ego. It's about winning. It's about success. And the ultimate key is, can they shift this culture that has been so much about me, me, me for so long? Let me get into the league. I'm using this as just a springboard to the league. I really don't give a shit what my, my team's record is to putting the team first and the long-term success of this program first over yourself and your ego because if you're a hurricane deep inside you care about the program long term not just about what it can do for you in the short term um and like i said i think that's that's the problem that's been created a little bit with nil culture too is we got a lot of guys getting bigger heads because they're getting paid um maybe some of that some of that has happened to tvd i thought you know the problems with him mentally started creeping a little bit uh into the into the uh into the atmosphere last week when he started talking about our fan base and our crowds at home, like, all right, I get it, bro. You enjoy playing on road stadiums, at road stadiums because it's more of an environment, but you don't have to say it that way. You don't have to dog your own fans and say the, that, that kind of stuff while you're on an, uh, on an interview, because it's not only making your fan base look bad, it's making your program look bad. And, and you're, you're, you're stopping us or you're preventing us. You're throwing another roadblock in the way of, of course, it's obvious people see it, but when your own players are complaining about it, it throws another roadblock in the way of creating the recruiting success that you need of getting guys down here to convince them that we can change that environment. But when you're quarterback, your leader, you're supposed to, the face of the team is saying shit like that. And he looks disinterested as he says it. I mean, what are we going to do? And I think that's the other thing. I think, you know, TVD got away with being able to be a bit more laid back last year because he was a young guy thrust into a position of, of taking over for Derek King. So his, his vocal leadership really didn't matter that much because they, they looked to guys like Charleston Ramble and other older guys on the team where they wanted to rally around TVD and help him as much as possible because they knew he was in a tough spot. Whereas now everybody turns and looks at TVD to say, what do we do? You're the guy. And all he's got is this. Right. And that's not helping. Yeah, I, I will defend TVD and say that I know that he wasn't necessarily trying to dog the fan base. I think it's just one of those things where he's very honest, right? And the atmosphere does suck at that stadium most, most Saturdays. Just well, absolutely. And uh, I think, unfortunately, uh, that that didn't come out well for him and, and, you know, the way it was sort of shared and and broadcast or whatever. But uh, I know he cares about winning. I know he's frustrated. I think the bigger issue is getting the buy in from the players again. And can they find that spark? And we'll find out what Mario Cristobal and his staff decide to do here. Uh, after the bye week, Carlos, I appreciate you coming on. Make sure to listen to Carlos's uh, podcast, the MIA All Day Pod. You can find it just about everywhere where you get your podcasts. Carlos, make sure to follow him on YouTube as well. Uh, if you can, please, please subscribe to uh, the Wide Right Podcast while you're here and check out my work in The Athletic. Uh, some good columns uh, from, from some other writers uh, on college football as well. I got my True Freshman Report and uh the acc mailbag that i do every single week so uh, we will be back eventually i think i may have andy bitter on with me soon he's our virginia tech beat writer just to talk about the acc and what's happening again season's not over folks it's a terrible or, start or if we have another game like this against north carolina <laughs> and guess what it's gonna be a dolphins podcast from now on fins <laughs> up fins up yes. uh yeah but we will we will be talking acc again soon with andy bitter carlos will be back on uh to preview north carolina with us next week so thanks for coming on uh and checking out the wide ride pod we'll be back next week peace